Well, you might wonder why we are yet again looking at the end times. I mean, we had a, a conference. We had a whole sermon series on the book of Revelation. Isn't that enough, at least for this year, to satisfying our thoughts on that subject? Well, we have to think of what Advent means. Advent literally means a coming, an arrival. Something is about to take place. And so the, the Advent season is celebrating the coming of Jesus, his first coming. But that first coming is what has set up the hope of his second coming. That's the next Advent. And so the Advent season traditionally for churches, that first Sunday is given over to thinking about the expectant coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I invite you to turn with me uh, in your Bibles to, um, to Mark uh, chapter 13, verses 32 to 37. Uh, if you want to follow along in the version that I'm using, the English Standard Version, you'll find that insert uh, in your bulletin as well. So Mark chapter 13, let me begin reading with verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, Stay awake. Well, this passage concludes a long discourse by Jesus on the destruction of the temple and the end time when the Son of Man returns. Now, depending on your, your interpretation of that chapter, and your eschatology, that is, your, your view of the end times, the The destruction of the temple and the return of Jesus Christ go hand in hand, all in the same time period. Or, you think they are two separate things altogether. Well, for understanding our passage today, it really does not matter. Whatever your position may be, we can all attest to the same affirmation we we said together earlier in this service. Christ shall come again at the last day in great power. Christ shall come again. When? Well, that's the question, isn't it? But, but then Jesus' point in his conclusion in this passage is that knowing when he is going to return is not as important as, well, let Let's see what the passage says is important. Now, the theme is not difficult to, to figure out. Four times, you, I'm sure you picked up on it, Jesus uses that expression, stay or keep awake. And 
verse 33. Be on guard, keep awake. Verse 34. Commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Verse 35. Therefore, stay awake. And then finally, his last words, verse 37. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Sounds like a preacher sometimes, and sometimes I think I need to say that to you. Now, depending upon your Bible version, if you're opening up with the, uh, the New International Version, for example, or another version, what you saw was not awake, but maybe the word watch, keep watch, or be alert. Well, I think this is a case in which the translation I'm using, the English Standard Version, probably has, lends itself better to what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples here. Consider the parable that's in that paragraph. Okay, it's about a man. He goes off on a journey, and he leaves his servants to do what? To their respective tasks. There is one servant who has the particular task to, to watch the door. He's watching for visitors. He's watching for make sure thieves don't come in. And above all, he's watching for the return of his master. So he can greet him appropriately and probably alert the other servants so that everything is ready for him. But what about those other servants? Each of them has their own work to do. And are they... Are they to kind of keep watch, kind of keep looking over their shoulders, trying to look out the window to see if he's coming at that time? Are they also also to be keeping watch for that their master's return as they do their work? Matthew's gospel actually helps us here. He has a chapter also with that same discourse, it's chapter 24. And as he comes to a conclusion, and he gives the same parable, but it has a fuller form. And let me read it to you. It's Matthew 24, 45 to 50. Jesus says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. But if, the wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. And the problem of this wicked servant is not that he's not watchful, although he probably should have been watchful and he wouldn't have gotten caught. But it was that he was shirking his duties. Luke's version, also of, of Jesus' discourse, he has him closing with these words. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the, hill, of the whole earth, but stay awake. At all times. Now, in that passage, what they're to watch for is they're to watch themselves so that they will not go astray. And so, Jesus' clear lesson at the end of his 
long, perplexing discourse about his return is that his followers must stay awake in their daily responsibilities that they have, that they carry out each day for their Lord, as though he is there present watching them, which, by the way, he, he is. They must not fall asleep on the job. They must live their lives in a way that distinguishes themselves from the rest of the world, from others. And they must not slip back into their old ways in which they were driven by the the cares of the world and the temptations of the world. Someday the Master, Jesus Christ, will return. And we shall all be held accountable for how we lived, how we carried out our duties while he was in heaven. Therefore, stay awake. That's the message. Now let's consider some of the lessons from Jesus' message. The first lesson is this. We will be judged when he returns by how well we live out our lives each day to the glory of our Lord, not by how accurately we predicted his return. And none of Jesus' parables, none of his teachings about his return does Jesus commend his followers for getting it right for when he's going to come back? He never says, blessed are you who figured out the details and the time correctly. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Depart from me, you, you post-millennialists who doubted the literal thousand years, millennium. Okay. Now, the acceptance, the rejection are always based own faithful service. Now, there's a sense that we ought to be alert. But yet what clearly matters is not that we were found at the window eagerly watching for our master's return. We got that day figured out. But that we were found faithfully carrying out our duties as though we were expecting any day he could have returned. It is faithfulness. That is the best way to display our hope, our expectancy in the return of our Lord. Which leads to the next lesson. The best test of behavior is found not in the Christmas season, but in the middle of summer. And if you can think that far back as children, our behavior may have turned for the better as the Christmas season approached, right? And we were reminded that we needed to be good if we were to expect presents from Santa. If if what happened to my brother was not going to happen to me, he got switches in his stocking one one year, so I needed to be good so that that would not happen to me. And um, so, you know, Santa knows. He knows when we've been good or bad. And the closer the time, the greater the expectation, and so the better the behavior, or at least the more often our parents reminded us that we needed to be on good behavior. Well, as adults, we no longer had the promise of gifts dangled before us to, to improve our behavior, but it was pretty much now our, our culture that we live in. 
It's built up the Christmas season so much that this is what? The most wonderful time of the year. And it's a time that we all just have the Christmas spirit and it makes us better persons. You watch the Christmas shows, you listen to the Christmas songs, and this is what they teach us. There is a spirit of Christmas, and it's infecting us, and it's making us friendlier. We're more generous persons than we tend to be. But for those who really get the message, it is living Christmas every day that matters. As Scrooge learned, and as he vowed, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. That's what matters, isn't it? I noted that it's the middle of summer. That's the best time to test our behavior. I think so. Because winter, it follows the Christmas season. You still got a little bit of that spirit in you. And, And at the worst, it makes you all the more hope and long for the spring that you know is going to come. And then spring arrives, got all of its glory, it lightens our hearts. I think it's the middle of summer. It's when the harshness of winter, we've forgotten about it. We're not thinking about the next winter seasons too far away. It's when we're neither looking back or forward. When we're neither, uh, but we're just simply enjoying the moment, or maybe we're wilting under the heat, whatever it is. That's when we show how much we truly live under the watchful eye of Santa or in the spirit of Christmas. And so it is with the summer of our lives. That's when we demonstrate how much we live under the expected hope of our Lord returning. When we're young in our Christian faith, those of you who could remember when you, when you were not a believer and you turned to the Lord, it was fresh And you live for the Lord every day, and every day you're looking for his return. It's fresh for you. And then maybe when we get into our older years, when we can no longer fool ourselves that we're going to live forever, we start to give more thoughts to meeting our Lord, whether he's coming to meet us or our going to meet him. It's right there in the summer of our lives. It's when our faithfulness is really tested. Are we then faithfully living for him? Are we then remaining expectant of his return when our works are going to be displayed for his commendation? So on Monday morning, when we return to daily life, will we act and speak, will we think as those who are readily, they are ready to receive our Lord should he return at that moment? Because, again, the, the point of the matter is not that we must live every day consciously expectant, this is the day the Lord may return. Okay, we've got to figure it out. Rather, is that we live each day demonstrating that we were ready. If it should be the day, or if that day is another thousand years away, we are ready if we are living as though he has never left, that he is with us, he is watching us. Now, such living, it's difficult to do because we're earthbound creatures. Routine, we live by our five senses. We we know only this world. 
All of these things make it difficult to do this, to live expectantly, to, to, to live as though he's going to return. And that leads us to our next question, or next lesson. It says, our greater danger as Christians is not rebellion, but sleepiness. I don't know how I could have let this happen. Those were the words of a Christian man, a a friend of mine. We were talking on the phone. Mature in his faith. Mature in his love for Christ. And he was referring to a a slip-up. To a sin that he thought he could never have committed. How could he have yielded to a sin like that? He had not been consciously defying God. He he was not consciously rebelling. He he wasn't even consciously having yielded to sin. What had happened? He simply had not stayed awake. Like the, the sleepy driver who gradually starts to veer to the edge and then off the road so he strayed unconsciously. Now, we might know of individuals who have consciously left the faith. We probably know even more who still confess the faith. And yet you can look at their lives. You can see how they're increasingly adapting to the values of this world. It's not big. It's just a little bit here, a little bit more, a little bit more. They're falling asleep. And indeed, even those whom we know who have outright rejected the faith that they once held dear, probably this is what began. It probably began long before, and they slowly began to turn to the world, slowly began to fall asleep to the gospel. Now, what causes the sleepiness? Well, we've kind of mentioned them already. They're the cares of the world. You know, we have to go to school, got to make good grades. We've got to keep up with all the activities expected of us. We have to make a living. We've got to pay bills. We've got to raise a family. Can we retire? Maybe, maybe we retire. Now we can give more attention to God. Only we find that we never stop being parents. And now, on top of that, we become grandparents. Now we've taken on more projects, and after all, we wonder, how did we ever get anything done when we were working? You know, Not to mention now this increasingly full-time job of watching over our health and going to doctor's appointments and all those things. And this busyness doesn't sound like falling asleep, does it? But the problem is that it's that busyness causes us to become sleepy from giving our attention to the Lord. It's like the times, you probably have had like this, you know, you've been very busy, you know, doing activity after, after activity, and finally you get a few minutes and you're going to catch up on that book that you've been wanting to read. You sit down and you, you open up the book and you can't get past a one page and your eyes are starting to get heavy. You're so sleepy. So it is with our faith. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I know I need to get back to, to, to reading my Bible. I need to, to having devotions, but I'm so tired. Yes, yes. I, 
I need to get back to church. I, I, I need to be going back to Bible study. But man, I, I just have such little time to myself and to rest. I, I just feel I need that. We get sleepier and sleepier. And then the cares of the world and the temptations of the world, they go hand in hand. That book might make us sleepy unless, well, unless it has some exciting parts to it. Or maybe the book is boring, but, you know, not that movie on TV that makes my heart race. We, we may be tired trying to fulfill all of our responsibilities, but then, then there's that person who is not demanding anything of me and is, is speaking nice to me and says nice things about me and makes me feel special. And so our spiritual eyes grow heavier and heavier until we fall asleep to the things of God. And we give way to the dream world of this world. Stay awake, says Jesus. Don't close your spiritual eyes. So, how do we stay awake when our flesh wants to sleep? What are practical things you can do? You're doing the most important thing right now. You're doing the most important thing you can do at this moment. Weekly, you come together as the church of Christ to worship God. You sing hymns and songs of faith together. You, you listen to others singing of their Christian faith. You, you pray together. You listen to prayers together. You, you confess a common faith. You listen to the word and, and the word being read and, and preached. And monthly here, you're observing the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. I was telling the Sunday school class this morning, it's this weekly activity that best keeps me awake. Okay. I, can, I can do all of, the, all of these activities I mention alone. Okay. And, and, and I benefit from that. I, I can listen to music alone. I can listen to tapes of, of better sermons than myself. Um, you know, I can listen to John Piper and Tim Keller and all those guys. And, and I can do those things. But it's being with brothers and sisters who hold to the same faith, who have that same hope. That is what awakens my drowsy spirit. The truths that are expressed, you know, um, that come forth from this service, that is what refreshes my soul. Now, during the week, the world seeps into my soul. It dulls my spiritual senses. Now, again, I, I don't lose my faith. I just get sleepy. And I need to worship. I need you to wake me up. Any opportunity to meet, to do ministry together, that stirs me up and keeps me awake. And I don't. That, and that's what really the writer of Hebrew is saying. In Hebrews chapter 10, 24 to 25, you know these verses. Let us consider how to, what? Stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another. That's the idea. Encourage each other, build each other, stir each other up. And he adds this, and all the more as you see what? 
the day drawing near, Christ returning. So the longer I neglect to worship and to fellowship with my church family, the more sluggish I become in serving my Lord. So worshiping, fellowshipping, ministering together, they are the most effective means of staying awake. And then there are the private practices, the daily devotions, the prayer, reading good books, listening to God, honoring music, doing good works. These activities keep your faith alert. So that even, even if you're laid up in bed, even if you can't be here with the body, your spirit still thrives, still awake, is still alert. Because you're keeping these things coming into you. So there are these activities to do. Even the activities themselves are not enough to keep the spirit awake. It is truth. Specifically, gospel truth that you and I need to hear. Books and music do us little good if they do not convey the gospel truth. Sermons of themselves are of no value. It can even harm if the message of the gospel is not coming through. You and I need to hear again and again and again the good news of God so loving the world that he gave his only son and that by believing in him we will not perish but have everlasting life. You need to hear again and again that God demonstrated his love for us in this. That he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That even while we were enemies, Christ died for us to reconcile us to God. We need to hear these things. And it's not just mere repetition that we need, although that's important. We need the full gospel of knowing God. Knowing why God created us. Knowing what has has caused this world and, and ourselves to fall. Knowing God's remedy. And that incredible mercy and grace that lies behind the remedy. We need to know what it means to go from being uh, enemies of God to being made his servants. Or no, even better, be, being made his friends. Remember what Jesus said. Well, actually, it's even more glorious than that, isn't it? Being made his children, his beloved children. And then to learn the riches that we possess now as God's children, to, to learn and, and to climb even higher into the the wonders of that life to come. That when we die, and praise be to God, when our Lord Jesus Christ returns in his glory, more of these truths need to be impressed upon us. And the more we we dive into this refreshing, regenerating waters of the gospel, the more awake, the more fully alive we will be. I mean, let me ask you now, such truths as these, do they not stir your soul? If not, I mean, do you find them puzzling? If so, I invite you to heed the call of Ephesians 5.14. Awake! 
Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It may be that you have confessed Christ as your Savior, but you've fallen asleep as, you, as you've grown older. Things have gotten tougher. It may be that you never knew Christ. It may be that you thought you were a Christian. But you thought, well, that's, that means just being a good person and, and living by the rules. You didn't understand this gospel. Whatever the case, let your spirit now be awakened to the joy of the gospel. Christ has come. Christ will come again. So wake up and stay awake for the, for the joy of living for him now, being prepared for him when he returns. And when he does come, he will be with us forever. And that name that was given to him long ago will take full fruition. The name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Let's stay awake for that glory to come. We give you praise, our God, for the glory that is ours. And yes, may we stay awake. May we remain faithful to our Lord. May we remain awake so that we may take joy in all that we have, in all the riches and blessings that are ours. May we remain awake, awake for the glory that will be coming at the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.